0: On this episode of Liberty Curious, I sat down with Thomas Hogan to discuss Fed drift. Basically, the Fed has expanded its scope to include DEI initiatives and climate policy. DEI is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Thomas argues that monetary policy is not well suited for addressing inequality, and the Fed could wind up hurting the people it was trying to help. Tom Hogan is senior research faculty at AIER. He was formerly the chief economist for the U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, and urban affairs. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to check it out wherever you listen to your podcasts and also subscribe to our new YouTube channel here.
1: What have they done with our money? I don't, I don't understand. In my opinion, those bankers are rascals. I don't trust them
0: anymore to keep my money safe. Thomas Hogan, thank you for being here again today. You were on a couple of weeks ago talking about FTX and SBF. And uh, I encourage our, our viewers to go and check that out because that was really informative. But today, as promised, we're going to talk about the Fed. And we're going to talk about the Fed Drift, uh, DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. You had written a paper on this, how DEI made inflation worse. So let's talk about the Fed, what it's supposed to be doing and what it's actually doing and how that's making things worse. So... What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think part of the reason that we're seeing the high rates of inflation that we're having today is because the Fed has veered away from its mission as assigned by Congress and started to pursue these outside goals like diversity and inclusion, like climate change. And so it's it's taken its eye off the ball of its you know main objectives. But even worse, it's pushed the economy to the brink where we are seeing high rates of inflation and we are potentially uh expected to have a recession within this next year. And so by deviating from its goals, it was trying to do something good, uh, but may end up doing something very bad in the process.
0: So what is the Fed supposed to be doing? What is its actual mandate?
1: So the Federal Reserve is the central bank of the United States, and they manage the money supply. They do that by raising and lowering interest rates and buying and selling bonds. And so their their goal is to help stabilize economic growth, so that we have a, a smooth and growing economy, and that we don't see big swings where we're having booms and recessions and booms and busts. They want to calm that cycle down a little bit by uh, injecting money if the economy starts to slow down or potentially going into a recession. So that that it can turn up or minimize a recession, and then potentially slowing money growth when the economy is booming in order to prevent some kind of uh, stock market bubble or asset price bubble that might cause a bigger crash. And so they're trying to stabilize the economy by managing the money supply um, in in a safe way. And they've been assigned a goal by Congress that is, quote, to promote effectively the goals of maximum employment, stable prices, and moderate long-term interest rates. And so what this means is uh, they've got Nominally, three goals uh, stable prices, maximum employment, and moderate long term interest rates. The long term interest rates is really um, not that important because the Fed doesn't really, isn't, can't really control long term interest rates. The only time that they do is if the Fed creates a lot of inflation, then long term interest rates go way up. Um, but as long as they're not causing any big problems, mo- moderate interest rates is, is normal and not something they really affect. And so we typically call this the dual mandate. That is two goals. One of them is low inflation and the other is low unemployment. And so the the goals as assigned by Congress are typically referred to as the dual mandate. Um, but you'll notice there's a couple words that are missing from that. It doesn't say anything about equality. It doesn't say anything about diversity or inclusion. And yet the Fed has started to pursue those goals anyway without instruction from Congress. And so, you know, that might be a problem.
0: Okay, so you just said DEI, so that's diversity, equity, and inclusion. So this is not part of the Fed's dual mandate, but this is what they're doing anyways. So can you tell us how they've actually expanded uh, their reach in order to uh, to include the DEI in in what they're doing?
1: Yeah. So what happened was that in August of 2020, the Federal Reserve essentially rewrote its own goals. So Congress assigns it these specific goals, but then the Federal Reserve has some leeway, as all agencies do, in interpreting the rules as assigned by Congress. And so they were able to essentially rewrite their own rules to be something kind of different than what Congress had originally assigned. Um, but, But... this isn't just something they decided to do on their own. This is something that they've been receiving pressure for, for decades uh, to expand, to start to address the problem of inequality. They've been constantly asked by uh, people in Congress and, and politically pressured to try to pursue uh, goals that would be related to diversity, diversity and inclusion. Um, and typically, the way, that, the way that that's often framed is that minority unemployment rates tend to be higher than the average unemployment rate. So, for example, if you looked at the unemployment rates for blacks and African Americans in the United States, it's, it's higher than the average for whites. Uh, and so this is something that for years the Federal Reserve has been pressured to address but they've always resisted that in the past. They've they've resisted it for two reasons. One is that they they first of all just said, "Look, that's not our job. That's not written in what Congress has assigned us to do." We've been assigned this dual mandate of low inflation and low unemployment. It doesn't say anything about diversity. It doesn't say anything about uh, inclusive or inequality, right? Um, and so that you know that's just not something we're supposed to do as our goals as Congress has assigned. The second reason is that. They really don't have the ability to do that. The Federal Reserve manages the money supply for the United States and that is a broad tool that affects the entire economy at once. They're trying to steer the economy away from recessions and trying to slow it down if there's going to be a, a boom like a, a, you know, a credit or stock market boom or a real estate bo- a bubble or something like that that might crash the economy. Um, but that tool is not very good for addressing specific subsets of the economy, picking out certain groups to affect and not others. They they just can't really do that. This one tool of monetary policy affects the entire economy. And so Fed officials have always said, you know, look, even if we want to address the problem of specific uh, unemployment rates, we just can't do that. So, for example, previous Fed chair, Ben Bernanke, he he said, quote, policies to to." Policies designed to affect the distribution of wealth and income are appropriately the province of elected officials, not the Fed, right? He says, we've been assigned these goals, um, and if if Congress wants us to do something differently, if they want to address the problem of inequality, they need to do that. They need to either assign us or do it by some other means. But as of right now, you know, as of the Federal Reserve Act the way it's written, it's not our job, right? Uh, Janet mm-hmm. Yellen similarly mm-hmm. said – Quote, A stronger labor market will improve the status of all groups in the labor market, but there are deeper structural reasons that these trends continue, these trends of, of inequality. you know It's not something that monetary policy can affect. It's something caused by broader structural problems in the economy. And I, I actually remember exactly when Janet Yellen said that. It was in testimony that she was giving before the Senate at the time when I was chief economist for the Senate Banking Committee. And so I, I was actually sitting right behind Senator Shelby, who was the chair of the committee. Um, and it was it was sort of a coordinated effort to politically pressure the Fed to adopt these uh, goals for inequality. And there were several senators that had all coordinated to ask her the same question. What are you doing about inequality? What are you doing to get minority unemployment rates down to the level of whites? And, you know, Janet Yellen, who has actually worked on this as an academic prior to becoming Fed chair. So she's an expert on this, you know, she said, look, I, I think this is a very important topic, but it's just not something that monetary policy can fix. Um, and so, you know, even though she was being politically pressured and, and it's something that she thinks is important, she just gave an honest answer as an economist that, look, this is something that monetary policy can't do. And even current Fed chair Jerome Powell has also said something similar. He said, quote, we don't really have the tools that can address dis." Distributional disparate outcomes, as well as fiscal policy. A tight labor market is probably the best thing that the Fed can foster to go after that problem. And so even current chair Jerome Powell at one time said, look, this isn't something we can do. Inequality is a persistent problem that is caused by things other than monetary policy, and it's not something the Fed can fix.
0: So that's that's really funny that you that you just told that story about Yellen because I was wondering right away, I was thinking, when did she say this? You know, I, do you remember what year that
1: was? Yeah, I believe I believe it was in uh, twenty sixteen. Uh, And it was in testimony before the Senate. And it's funny because, you know, like I said, she was just giving her honest opinion as an economist, even though she she believes that uh, inequality is a very serious issue that the government should be addressing. As Fed chair, she was willing to say, look, we just can't do that. It's not our job and it's not something that monetary policy can fix. Janet Yellen is currently the Secretary of the Treasury, and in that position, she has been widely outspoken about her views and wants the government and the Treasury in particular to be enacting a a number of views, a a, a number of policies um, that would help reduce minority unemployment that would hopefully address this issue. But she was honest enough as Fed Chair to say, look, that's just not something that we can do. And so it seems clear that you know that is not the uh, area that the Fed should be addressing. It's not their job, and it's not something monetary policy can fix.
0: Yeah, so it's not their lane. But so Jerome Powell as well said, "No, we can't do this." But he's changed his tune, correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. Despite having said for decades that this is not a problem that monetary policy can fix and something the Fed can't fix, they decided to try to do it anyway. And so that's why they rewrote their monetary policy objectives in 2020 to try to address this issue uh, of inequality. And so they did that by changing their uh, their interpretation of their goal as assigned by Congress of maximum employment. And what they did was they said, we are going to uh, define monet- uh, maximum employment from now on to be a... Broad-based and inclusive goal, and when Powell talked about it, when he gave the speech that when they were changing these goals, he specifically referenced the uh, high minority unemployment rates relative to whites or relative to the average, and said that was an issue that they were trying to address with this, and so. This is something that for for years they said, "Look, there's nothing we can do about this." And even Powell specifically said, "This is not something that monetary policy can address." They decided to do it anyway. They decided to rewrite their own own goals uh, to go after the problems of uh, diversity and inclusion.
0: Wow! So there must have been some pressure there, obviously. Um, but but. You know how can they actually do it? Like, what is their plan to implement this DE policy? Right.
1: So, so here's the idea. So they, so they still understand that uh, monetary policy affects the entire economy, and it's very hard to try to target some specific group and one particular unemployment rate. But what they did was they said, okay, so we know that unemployment rates tend to be higher than for whites, but. When we're when we're in a recession, that gap is really big. Whereas, in we're, when we're in a boom period, that gap gets smaller and smaller as the economy grows. And you can see this in the decade prior to the COVID crisis, from t- from 2008 to 2019, the unemployment, uh, the racial uh, wage and unemployment gaps did shrink dramatically. In fact, uh, in in 2019, prior to COVID, that was the lowest minority unemployment rates in U.S. history. So it was was a really uh, great time that it was a booming economy and and it was good for minorities. And so that was the idea was that we want to get back to that um, low uh, racial wage gap and and, uh, low unemployment gap by making the economy boom. But the problem was, instead of doing it over 10 years, they decided to squeeze that into about a two-year period. And so they just decided, we're just gonna push the economy as hard as we can in order to get unemployment rates down because that's going to shrink the gap between white and uh, minority unemployment rates. And so you can see why that would cause problems, that they wanted to push the economy as hard as they could until basically it was on the edge of breaking, which is what we're seeing now.
0: So that was obviously during the Donald Trump era. That was kind of the MAGA era. So was, was that a result as well of political pressure coming from the White House at that time to say, like, we've really got to get this economy booming?
1: So, you know, most of that period of, of this long boom that happened between um, 2008 and 2019, you know, that, w- that was under a variety of, of Fed chairs, you know, largely under Yellen and then also under Powell. Um, and so I think that was just the Fed uh, trying to be responsible and do the best that they could to support a growing economy. That is a fundamentally different way to address their job than the way that they have done it since then. And so there there have been a number of economists that said this that you know the the period that we have from the 1980s through 2008 or maybe even through 2019 is called the Great Moderation when. Uh, the volatility of GDP and inflation really went down and the economy appeared to be growing more smoothly than it was before. It's not clear how much of that is due to the Fed, um, but at least partly the Fed's monetary policy was better because they were taking a preemptive strategy of trying to raise interest rates before inflation kicked in. So before we were at the edge of a collapse, they were trying to slow the economy down. Um, It's a, it's a, a long ex, uh, long-held expression from uh, a former Fed chair, Martin, where he said, you know, we want to take away the punch bowl right when the party gets going. And so they're going to try to slow down the economy to keep it from booming so much that it doesn't have a big hangover the next day. And so, you know, this is kind of a common expression that in the 70s, they weren't doing that. In the 60s and 70s, they were pushing the economy too hard. We got high inflation. In the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, they tried to keep inflation low and tried to not Push the, the economy too hard, but then they switched again. After COVID, they decided once again, we're going to push the economy as hard as we can, even though there's going to be some inflation. We're okay with that. We're going to do whatever we can to make the economy boom in order to get minority unemployment rates as low as possible. And so they ignored their their previous uh, ideas of just trying to keep the economy uh, growing at a balanced rate, that they should be supporting economic growth and acting acting preemptively to prevent inflation. Instead, they did the opposite and they allowed inflation to run hot um, and and tried to push the economy as hard as they could in order to get to what they were calling maximum uh, employment.
0: So your thesis is that they were basically doing this to implement the DEI and they were disregarding their original dual mandate. And also part of your thesis is that the very people that they're trying to protect or trying to help, they may actually make things worse off for them, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. So you can see from the statements of uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell, all through 2021, he kept repeatedly saying, we're going to push, we're going to keep uh, the monetary policy expansionary until we get to maximum employment. And he kept saying maximum employment, maximum employment. He said it over and over all throughout 2021 when inflation was high. You know, initially in 2021, they thought it was just going to be transitory and that it was going to be short term and not be a problem. But then all throughout that year, Inflation kept coming in higher than expected, higher than expected, and so by late 2021, by the fall of that year, they were seeing that okay, this seems to be a much more persistent problem. Our monetary policy probably has something to do with it. But as late as November of 2021, Jerome Powell was still saying we're going to push the. He didn't say push the economy. He said we're going to continue expansionary monetary policy until we get to maximum employment. Which in in November he said will probably be the summer of next year. So in November, after four months of, of higher than expected inflation, he was still saying, we're going to continue to stimulate the economy for at least another six months and let inflation be high and do whatever we have to until we get to maximum employment. Right. And so, yeah, he knew that whole time that they were pushing the economy beyond, uh, what would be considered, considered stable in order to try to achieve this goal of maximum employment. And so obviously that causes a number of problems. One being, you know, high inflation already is bad for regular people. I'm I'm amazed by how many people in the press and how many economists are, are willing to just kind of ignore the problem of inflation. You know, they're so focused on the unemployment rate that they don't realize how badly inflation harms average Americans. You know, average Americans are seeing huge increases in the cost of living that they they can't afford food like they could before. They can't afford gas and the prices of homes and the prices of cars and like everything that average Americans buy – has gone up dramatically during this period uh, and eroded their incomes. You know, wages have gone up a little bit, but not nearly as much as prices of consumer goods. And so Americans just can't afford to live the same kind of lifestyle they could a year or two ago. And economists just kind of ignore that. It's it's really shocking to me that a lot of economists and people in the press just don't understand what it's like for average Americans, don't understand how much they are harmed by regular inflation. But it's actually worse than that because yeah. now they've pushed the economy so hard that we're at the brink of a recession. Most economists are now predicting that within the next 12 months, we'll have a recession. And the Fed has painted itself into a corner because now they're trying to raise interest rates to cut down inflation, but they threaten choking off the economy to a point where it, it creates a major downturn and pushes us into a recession. And if that happens, obviously, they'll be back in the same situation where that's the time when minority unemployment rates are the worst. And so they've driven up inflation in a way that harms average Americans and are potentially going to drive up unemployment again for minorities who were the people that this policy was intended to help.
0: So this actually reminds me of the paper that you wrote, that uh, very, very long research paper on banks and banking policies, (laughs) And how basically they were they were making these uh, assumptions based on feelings, like, oh, well, it feels like the right thing to do, so we're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> do you think that that's part of what's happening here as well? Like, these are feel-good words, these are, you know, it sounds like a great thing, diversity, equity, inclusion, like, let's get on the bandwagon, but without looking at the actual consequence?
1: Yeah, you know, unfortunately, it it is a a problem that the Fed often does these things without doing a lot of research. You know, the the paper you're referring to, I looked at a a lot of the regulations, uh, like the 27 most important bank capital regulations, and to see if they did any quantitative cost benefit analysis to make sure that the benefits of their policies were higher than the costs. And they don't do that. In only a few cases did they even attempt to do it and basically say, we think that the benefits will exceed the costs. But if you look at the actual research they're citing, they, they actually say, well, there, there's actually no evidence that this the benefits exceed the costs. We just we just think it's going to. We just feel like this policy is going to be good. Um, and so, yeah, that's a problem. And so that's basically what they're doing here, too, is that they haven't really done a lot of research to show that this was going to be beneficial for minorities. They, they did a um, revision to their policy that they did – take some time to revise, but they, they didn't put in, out any papers that said that this was gonna be the best policy. They didn't do any actual quantitative research and give us some very carefully calculated uh, estimate of what they think the minority unemployment rates are gonna be or how much they're gonna benefit. They just kind of made it up. They just said, oh, well, when we look at the chart, it shows that you know, the minority unemployment rates are low when we, when we simulate the economy and when, when everything's going well. And so they just decided to push the economy, like I said, you know squeeze a whole decade's worth of growth into just one or two years. And despite the fact that inflation was high, they just kept going anyway and ignored their dual mandate, ignore well. I shouldn't say ignored. They also rewrote the inflation part of their mandate to be an average target that they said they could let it be extra high for several years and not do anything. So, so they, you know, they rewrote both parts of their mandate, the dual mandate, so that they could go after this goal of uh, diversity and inclusion. And then, you know, tried to push the economy despite high inflation, push it to the brink so that they could try to get unemployment rates down as low as possible, in particular minority unemployment rates. And so, yeah, I think this was another policy that, man, it probably sounded great at the time. And there were lots of people politically pressuring them to go after this and have been for decades. But they had always resisted that because they knew it was a bad idea. And this time they caved to political pressure and are now causing major problems for America and potentially a, a recession, which will harm, you know, all Americans, especially minorities.
0: Okay. So, Tom, what has changed now, in your opinion? Why do you think that they decided to go for it now when they had always, you know, kind of pushed away that pressure and said, no, we're going to stay in our lane? Why have they decided suddenly? What or Do you have any ideas as to what motivated them? Uh,
1: you know, that's a, that's a great question. And, and, you know, I don't know for sure. It's hard to speculate from the outside. Um, on one hand, This was something that they've been receiving for uh, pressure pressure on for decades. And all of the Fed chairs, including Powell, had said, look, we can't do this. But they did a major rewrite of their goals in 2020. And so they may have just decided, like, look, this is the time to do it. Um, And so now, you know, they had been planning this change. And so they may have just thought, like, we're doing this anyway. We might as well, um, you know, change the – Add, change the maximum employment part to talk about inclusion. Um, but it's also, you know, it's strange. Powell had seemed early in his tenure like he was very resistant to political pressure when he was appointed initially by Trump. Pretty soon after that, Donald Trump really went after him and was saying he was causing problems and saying the Fed was doing a terrible job. And Powell really, you know, deflected that and didn't respond to Trump. And a lot of people saw him as being very resistant to political pressure. Um but, on the other hand, he was actually uh, potentially becoming more pressured by Congress, so Powell always in his uh, ha- has been very sensitive or receptive to uh, what Congress wanted, and he was going in and meeting with senators and meeting with representatives. And, you know, having, having worked at the Senate Banking Committee, I initially thought, that's great. Finally, the Fed is paying some attention rather than just blowing off Congress and, you know, doing whatever they wanted. Um, however, once it became time that we were in this crisis and there was pressure coming from all around, you know, maybe that colored his views a little bit. Maybe his uh, desire to be favored by Congress and wanting their approval led him to be just a little bit more receptive into doing this thing that, that, Previous Fed chairs had always agreed was just a bad idea. You know, so I, I don't really know for sure. Mm. It's also the case that at the time they adopted this, Powell was coming up for renomination pretty soon after, and a lot of people wonder why the Fed didn't start raising interest rates sooner. You know, through the second half of 2021, it was clear that inflation was high. In fall of 2021, they had been saying inflation was transitory, and Fal- Powell tr- finally said we're going to retire the word transitory, right? Because it's clear this is no longer transitory. (laughs) Um, And yet, and yet they didn't raise rates until March. So probably six months after they had been saying, yeah, inflation is higher than we thought. This is potentially a problem of monetary policy. They didn't do anything about it. You know, they kept saying inflation is our number one priority. In fact, in January, when Powell had uh, been nominated and was testifying at his reconfirmation hearing, he said... The market no longer wants or needs the expansionary policy we're providing. That's pretty close to a direct quote. And so, you know, he's saying, look, we've been stimulating too much. The market doesn't want this. The market doesn't need this. And yet, a few weeks later at the Fed's meeting in January, at the end of January, they decided not to raise interest rates. They, in fact, kept buying Bonds and expanding the money supply, despite the fact that Powell said the market doesn't need this, the market doesn't want this, they kept doing it anyway. Powell wasn't confirmed until after that, and so it's possible that you know he just was saying the right things up until his confirmation hearing and didn't actually do anything about it until after he was confirmed. Now I don't know. I'm I personally like. I don't want to believe that that's the reason, uh, but I know some people do and that that believe that this is a strictly political pressure. I, I tend to think it's probably more a problem that they just thought they were doing the right thing and didn't look too deeply about it, you know, didn't do anything. Uh, thorough studies, didn't do any serious analysis because they just believed it was the right thing to do and didn't understand how bad the problems would be that this policy has caused.
0: Well, this is really kind of like a public choice question, right? And this is something that AIER scholars look at, which is why do people do the things that they do? Um, And so there are many, many different kinds of variables that influence people's decision, and and those are personal variables as well. They could be, you know, career goals, they could be political goals, they could be what does does Powell want to do after he works at the Fed? Like you look at Janet Yellen, now she's Secretary, uh, Treasury of the Secretary. So it seems that if you do the right things, then you can prolong your career. There are many incentives that that people face, right? Um, but I also remember looking back uh, Jerome Powell, and he would always repeat the same thing. And it was like he had memorized it. Uh, I, I was looking through the footage to do some videos for A.I.R., And every month he would say the same thing, and it was just memorized. So it didn't seem to be very sincere. So obviously, something's been going on there.
1: Yeah. That's, so there, there are a lot of things that are going on there. So, so you know, public choice, we pu- public choice um, is the idea of studying economically the choices of public officials. And so it used to be the case that in economics, a lot of times they would just say, well, let's just assume the government is good or let's assume the politicians are going to do what they say or whatever, because they didn't want to impugn those people with bad motives um, but the problem is that's not realistic, right? In the real world, people do either have bad motives or at very least have bad incentives that they're just not rewarded for doing the right thing. A political system is not like a market system. In a in a market, uh, you have to provide things that your consumers want. Otherwise, they won't buy it right? And so you have to satisfy uh, your customers. And in politics, you don't have to do that because the punishment mechanisms are not as good. Maybe you'll get voted out of office. Maybe you won't, right? But you have all these other advantages and and, uh, groups that you have to satisfy. And so we have to think realistically about what those politicians and people within the government are doing because they're not operating in a market context where they're going to be rewarded for doing well and punished for doing poorly. Now, Yellen is an interesting example because you know she didn't seem to have been responding to that she was when she was at the fed saying look we can't do anything about this but then later when she went to treasury said okay yes i think this is very important and and you know maybe when they interviewed her she had said look i've always wanted to work on the problems of you know diversity and i like i want to do that as my goal at the treasury Uh, but she wasn't doing it when she was fed chair and in fact the fed is supposed to be independent of political pressure they're not directly beholden to the executive like a lot of agencies are and the reason for that is because monetary policy is so important that we want them to not be politically pressured we see in countries where the central bank is beholden to the federal government or beholden to the president or dictator or whomever you know, that they get pressured and it leads to terrible problems. The The dictator just calls up the central bank and says, you know, print up a million dollars so I can buy tanks. And then they end up with a ton of inflation. And so that's why we want the Fed to be independent. But of course, there are always politicians that are pressuring them to try to do some specific job. And we want the Fed to resist that. We want them to be independent. And Previously, they had been, but now it seems like in this case and in a lot of other cases too, the Fed is falling victim to political pressure. And so that's a, that's a problem because you know, central banks that are independent do a good job and central banks that cave to political pressure don't. And so this is something that I think we should be very, very worried about.
0: Yeah. Um, while you were saying that, I thought about you know 2020 is when they actually rewrote their own mandate. Um, And it's also, you know, a big turning point, obviously, uh, for everybody living right now. 2020 was kind of when everything changed. So do you think that part of this is that many checks and balances were kind of thrown out the window?
1: Yeah, so definitely the Fed during 2020 was doing a lot of unusual things. And a lot of those things were not consistent with their mandate. And a lot of those things were you know, areas where they were being pressured politically. So it wasn't just the problem of monetary policy. It was also the emergency lending that they were doing in the COVID crisis. So, you know, in 2008, we had a financial crisis and they created a variety of emergency lending vehicles to prop up banks and bail out non-banks that were financial companies. Um, But in this case, in COVID, it really wasn't a financial crisis in any way, and yet the Fed invoked its emergency lending authorities anyway, and they started lending to groups that they typically do not lend to, like state, state and local governments, like non-bank financial companies. So typically the Fed, you know, mm-hmm. they're responsible for the, mon- the money supply, but they also regulate the banking system. And so they have this emergency lending authority that if banks are going to fail, they can lend these banks uh, to try to prevent them from, I mean, they're not supposed to lend to banks that are actually failing. They're supposed to lend to banks that are illiquid, that just need money for a little while in order to keep the financial system going. And so the idea is they're protecting the financial system by helping some of these banks out that just need a short-term loan. Um, And that can also apply to non-banks if they are directly related to the banking system. So for example, in 2008, the insurance company AIG was connected to a number of banks and and people were making the argument, look, if if AIG fails, all these other banks are going to fail too. I'm not sure that I really buy that, but that's a good justification that, okay, so the Fed can lend to this non-bank company in order to help out the banking system. But in 2008, the Fed was asked to lend to non-banks and they chose not to. There were people saying, look, you need to bail out GM. You need to bail out the automakers, because if they fail, that's going to be bad for the U.S. economy. And the, current, the Fed chair at that time, Ben Bernanke, said, that's not our job. If Congress wants to bail out GM, they can do that. But the Fed, we don't have the authority to do that, and we're not going to lend to GM. And so they didn't. And what happened was Congress did decide to lend to GM. It was done through the Treasury. It was not done through the Federal Reserve. However, in this case, people were telling Fed Chair Jerome Powell in the COVID crisis, you need to lend to, to a bunch of non-banks. And he said, we'll do anything we can to support the economy. And so the Fed started lending to non-bank financial companies through the uh, small business lending programs, started lending. Uh, started actually buying bonds of major corporations uh, through the primary and secondary uh, financial market secured something, <laughs> lending facility. Um, and so they were, they were buying bonds of regular companies, just big companies that, you know, the Fed normally has nothing to do with. And so previously they had said, look, we don't want to have anything to do with that. But Powell said, we'll do anything we can to support the economy. They also started lending to state and local governments with both, both Yellen and Bernanke had said, the Federal Reserve should not be involved with that. We don't get involved with state and local finance. We're not here to bail out the states. But Jerome said, Powell said, we'll do anything we can to support the economy. Like you said, he has this messaging that he, he's very consistent, right? He gets a message um, yes. and he, he keeps saying it, right? And so they whatever, they whatever Congress asked of him, he said, we'll do anything we can to support the economy. But that meant doing a lot of things the Fed had previously said they would never do. And so, of course, once they started doing that, immediately Congress started saying, can you lend more to, to us? You know, all the states like Illinois and New Jersey that were on the brink of bankruptcy were now requesting their senators were requesting more bailouts from the Fed. Um, and so now this is a problem that they've broken that record. The things that they had said they would never do, they're now doing. And so, you know, where are we going to draw the line? They've already shown us in this COVID crisis that they're willing to use the emergency powers, even when it's not an emergency. They've shown us that they're willing to lend yes. to companies and state and local governments that they're not supposed to lend to. And so it seems like they've they've really... Um, bent or even broken the rules that are their authority granted by Congress in order to, you know, get some um, satisfy these political goals.
0: Incredible. So it's like habits, right? When you when you you start lending a little bit here and you say we'll do whatever we need to do because it's this enormous crisis that's unprecedented. So here you go. We're gonna we're gonna break our rules and we're just gonna do it. And now you have these habits, and then you have DEI, and you have something that. I guess you would call and others would call Fed Drift. So can you explain in like a couple of sentences what is Fed Drift?
1: Well, the... This is just a drift in their goals. You know, like I said, they they had specific goals assigned by Congress, but they basically decided to get away from those goals. They did it a little bit in 2008, but did it more in the COVID crisis to the point where they literally rewrote the way they interpret their monetary policy objectives. You know, Congress has assigned you to do one thing and you decide you're going to do something slightly different. And then, you know, that just keeps getting further and further from what you were initially supposed to do. So now it's the problem yeah. of you know diversity and inclusion. It's the problem of bailouts. It's the problem of climate policy even being implemented by the Fed. And so all that stuff is very far from the monetary policy objectives assigned by Congress in the Federal Reserve Act.
0: Yeah. So what I'd like to know, actually, I'm very curious about this. How exactly does the climate policy Come into play.
1: So the Federal Reserve, as regulator of U.S. banks, has decided that they are going to require banks to limit their climate risk or or climate risk exposure, um, and basically look at them and say, okay, how many of your loans, if there was some kind of climate catastrophe, uh, would go bad? And of course, no one has any idea about that stuff. You know, the, the types of climate risks that they're talking about are probably decades or more away, and so they're easy to hedge through regular insurance or regular risk processes that banks do already. Um, but instead of allow- allowing them to do that through the normal means, the Fed has created these stress tests where they say, okay, let's pretend there's this huge emergency right now. What's going to happen to your loan portfolio? And so they require them to say to look at their loans and talk about how bad their loans would would be. Um, and of course, this is although they don't say this specifically, this is probably intended to try to steer those companies away from uh, fossil fuel industry and towards things like green energy right and so the the fed says that this is just for our safety and soundness and it has nothing to do with steering credit in the economy but clearly it does have the effect mm. of steering credit in the economy if you're going to Penalize uh, companies for lending to fossil fuel companies, and and reward them for lending to green energy. And so, you know, this is consistent. This is something the Fed has done already. Uh, when I was at the Senate Banking Committee, banks used to complain that the they were they were getting informal pressure from the Federal Reserve. No official rules. Just informal pressure not to lend to certain industries, not to lend to gun manufacturers or marijuana, medical marijuana, things that were legal, uh, crypto companies, you know, all these ones, basically anything that was politically unpopular, there was no rule, but they were pressured by the Fed not to lend to those groups. Um, And so, you know, this is basically, I think what's happening is that the Fed is saying this is not intended to direct credit in the economy, but, but that's really what it's for. And in fact, the Fed has actually joined an international group of, of central banks that one of their stated goals is to promote green energy and move away from fossil fuels. And so even though the Fed is saying that they're not, they're not doing that, they've committed themselves to doing that by joining this group. And so one of those things can't be true, right? Either they are yeah. either they're not, uh, either they're, you know, either, either they're lying to us about the goals or they've wrongly committed to this group, in which case they should they should leave that organization. Um, but what is you know, the
0: organization?
1: Um, it's an international group of, of central banks. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but it, you know something about.
0: It's not the BIS, the Bank of International Settlements. No, no,
1: yeah, that's no? that's a, a different one that they're also a part of.
0: Wow! So. Th- you know, this is just fascinating stuff. You know, there's so much going on behind the curtain. Um, but one thing that I was thinking about throughout this discussion, just kind of a fresh thought that's come up, is that if they've now included DEI and climate policy and other things into their drifting mandate, um, they You know, they can't maybe do that much about it directly right now, like they can indirectly influence those things, perhaps, Um, maybe, maybe directly for the climate stuff, maybe indirectly for the DEI. But if there was a CBDC, would they be able to directly influence all of those objectives?
1: Absolutely. So the central bank digital currency is something that they are talking about doing. Uh, and there are a number of other countries that are working on this as well. China has specifically adopted one, and that's what they use it for is they, they track the, the transactions of everyone in China, and they use that to monitor what people are doing so that they can record, re- reward people that are doing things that the government likes and penalize people who are doing things the government does not like. And so the Fed if they if they introduced a digital currency that people would start using, they could track everyone's transaction and the Fed says that they wouldn't well they say that they wouldn't be using that for bad purposes, but you know, obviously they would have the ability to and when the government collects information about people, we have seen in the past that they use it for bad purposes and so So some of this information would be shared with other parts of the government, potentially with law enforcement, potentially with the IRS, and some of it might be used by the Fed to reward activities that they politically like and punish activities that they politically don't like. I mean, they would literally have the ability to either block transactions of things that they don't want you to buy. Or just take money out of your bank account and give it to uh, people with other bank accounts. And so this is a pretty dangerous situation because that's actually something that some politicians want them to do already. There are some politicians that want to officially assign the Fed the goal of not just reducing but eliminating income inequality in the United States and wealth inequality. Mm-hmm. And the central bank digital currency would be a way to do that. They would be able to just take money directly out of your bank account and give it to someone else. And that's something that it's it's something that Joe Biden has pushed for. It's something that other politicians have pushed for. Um, and in fact, there is a bill before Congress, the Federal Reserve Racial and Economic Inequality Act. What that bill says is, quote, "This bill requires the Federal Reserve Board to carry out its duties in a manner that supports the elimination." of racial and ethnic disparities in employment, income, wealth, and access to affordable credit. Elimination of wealth inequality. That's what the Federal Reserve Board would be assigned to do, to take money away from some Americans and give it to others. Think about the effects that that would have on the economy. If they eliminated wealth uh, disparities, they would be eliminating the reason to accumulate wealth. They would be eliminating the reason for people to work. This is something that could completely destroy the economy. It's crazy. Uh, I mean, AIER, we don't comment on specific legislation, so I'm not talking about this bill in particular, but any legislation that is going to require the Fed to redistribute and eliminate wealth inequality, that's just something crazy that would destroy the economy. And this bill, believe it or not, has actually passed the House of Representatives and given the state of the Senate is only a few votes away from passing the Senate. And so you know anything, oh anything like this would be terrifying to actually have enacted into law. And so it's, it's just unbelievably scary how close we are to assigning the Fed a goal that would require it to destroy the U.S. economy. It's just crazy.
0: And that's that's socialism, you know, right? Take from one person and give it to somebody else. And that destroys the incentive, as you're saying, to, to work, to do anything at all. Uh, we've spoken about in a previous podcast, Ayn Rand's book, um, Atlas Shrugged, right? And how, do you remember that there's this one company that opens up, it's like a factory, and they decide that they're going to all, you know, uh, receive... Whatever they need compared to what they have. So if you have more skills, you should work harder, you should work longer hours, and the people who aren't able to do as much as you, well, they'll reap your fruits. And do you remember the story of that and how the company just completely just imploded and and it became uh, really ugly very quickly.
1: Sure. In fact, there are a number of cases of that in the real world. I mean, there, there, there's there been a, a lot of different experimentation in business styles. And especially at the time that you're talking about in the in the 1920s and 30s, it, w- it was popular to think, well, let's just let employees vote or let's have some other system where you know, we're not being run by the managers or the owners of the company and so that we can share these decisions. Um, or even things like let's give everyone in the entire company an equal pay scale. Uh, I'm, I'm happy that companies are free to experiment and I hope that some businesses will succeed, but basically every company that has tried something like that has failed. And so, you know, so it's nice to think that that might be a solution and I'm happy for some people to try it on their own, but I definitely, uh, don't think that we've had any successful examples of that so far. And I certainly do not want the government involved with telling corporations that they need to run be run that way. And I certainly don't want the government involved in redistributing the all eliminating all wealth disparities in the economy, because it would just destroy the incentives to earn and destroy the economy as we know it.
0: Yeah. And, and what would that actually look like in practice? Like, would they say, okay, you guys, everybody has to have the same amount in their bank account at the beginning of the month? Like, what what what, what would it look like? You know, it's, How could you even pull it off? It's,
1: it's impossible to say. I mean, without something like a central bank digital currency, there's no way they could do this. I mean, again... There's a limit on what the Fed can do through its monetary policy. And so even trying to address the problem of inequality, we've already seen how bad that is just thinking in terms of racial uh, unemployment rates. And so even just that uh, start to trying to address this problem has been a total disaster. Being assigned something like eliminating all income disparities or eliminating all wealth disparities—it's just completely impossible. It's not something the Fed has any ability to control, and it's crazy to you know assign them this task. Um, I previously, in in the start of the COVID period, when the Fed was doing a bunch of different things, um, I made a, I, I wrote an article joking that this was like the time when the state of Indiana tried to assign the value of pi to be three point one four. Like, they were going to make that the law that Pi was – well, Pi is, Pi is, you know, an irrational number that goes on forever. And no matter what Congress yes. says, they can never change the physical <laughs> laws of the universe in this way, right? And that's basically what's happening here. When when you assign the Fed or any other government agency to do some kind of impossible task, it's not going to end well. And so trying to give them this goal of, you know, managing uh, inequality or even more uh, substantially as as some of these – New proposals would be to eliminate inequality in wealth or income. That's just crazy. It's not something the Fed could possibly do. It's an it's it's an impossible goal that is only going to have terrible, terrible consequences for the economy and be absolutely terrible for you know the American people.
0: Wow. So you know the Fed is really drifting more than I thought. um, What can be done about this? What can be done?
1: So I I want us to do exactly the opposite of what a lot of these bills are saying and simplify the Fed's goals. I think instead of having a dual mandate, the Fed should have one goal. So two goals is already too many because it gives them this sort of like get out of jail free card. that They can always shift. You know, when inflation is high, they can say, oh, we were just worried about unemployment this time. Or if Mm -hmm. unemployment is high, they, oh, well, we were worried about inflation, right? And so if you have, Two goals, you don't really have one, right? You've you've got nothing because you can just change your story all the time. And so I think the Fed should be signed, be assigned one specific goal by Congress, um, and and then there's the question of what is that goal. But I would say the, that the question of what is less important. Uh, the important part is. Having the Fed have one goal and be responsible and letting Americans know what that is. So it's most likely, I think I think most uh, politicians and most people think the Fed should have a low inflation goal, that they should keep prices stable. And so that would be something easy that I think a lot of people would understand. Some other economists, myself included, think that they should actually target the growth rate of the economy so that we're on a stable long-run growth path um, and that I think is something that probably also Americans can understand, and there there are a number of other benefits that you know we won't get into. But um, there's also a possibility that you could combine their dual mandate into a single mandate. So there's a, a an economic idea called the Taylor Rule that tells the Fed what their interest rate policy should be based on unemployment and inflation. So you know if inflation gets high, then you uh, raise interest rates. If GDP is too low, then you lower interest rates, and so you know it adjusts the interest rate based on what's happening with these two goals of inflation and unemployment. And so even that simplifies the dual mandate into one single target. And so anything that gives the Fed one specific goal um, I think would be helpful. Americans could understand what that means. There have been a number of legislative proposals for that to happen. When, when I was uh, serving in the Senate Banking Committee, there was a proposal by Senator Shelby that wouldn't have that would even have required – would didn't even tell the Fed what their rule should be. They just said, you come up with a rule. You decide what, you, what the best rule should be, and you just tell us. And you don't even have to abide by it all the time. It'll just be a soft rule that if you have to deviate from that rule, then just come in and tell us why, right? If you decide it's a Taylor rule and you deviate from the Taylor rule, then you just write a report to Congress and come in and tell us, look, here's why we decided to deviate. But the Fed hates that idea, yeah. right? They don't want to do that because it means that there would be some measure to judge them by, right? They, it means they would have to admit yes. that they were wrong, and they don't want to do that. I mean, why would anyone ever want to have to admit that they were wrong? And naively, you know, when I when I went to work for the Senate, I thought there's no way they would do that. They they want to do what's best for Americans, right? They want to they want to. <laughs> not have like, I mean, arguably caused a lot of the unemployment in the Great Recession, potentially like 10 million jobs that the Fed cost the economy through their poor monetary policy. 10 million Americans potentially unemployed because of the bad monetary policy. You should think that they would care about that. But as public choice tells us, those public officials are people first. And they make decisions based on, you know, what's best for them. Not always intentionally, sometimes they also think what, what they're doing is good for the economy. But in this case, they're definitely saying, we don't want any way to be judged about what, whether what we're doing is good policy or not. And so they've basically resisted any kind of efforts by Congress um, to rein them in or to even have a measurable goal, because why would you ever wanna to have to say you're wrong?
0: Yeah, and it would, it would mean accountability you know, to put it simply, it would mean accountability. And I always thought that that was kind of interesting as well, because you have this dual mandate, uh, which relates, I guess, to the Phillips curve, right? with, with jobs and with prices. Am I wrong? And I know that that's been kind of disproven. So it's easy for them to say, as you said, like, well, you know what, we were actually trying to tinker with this, but we meant to, you know, they can kind of flip flop.
1: Yeah. So, so the Phillips curve is a relationship between, uh, unemployment and inflation that typically when we push inflation up, uh, it pushes employment down. However, that is something that, uh, is very hard to manipulate because when you push inflation up, people realize there's gonna be high inflation and so they demand a higher wage, which means they stay out of the workforce more. And so it actually doesn't um, really reduce unemployment. It can for a little while, but if you do that for multiple years, then it causes the curve to shift, which actually increases unemployment. And so, you know, this has been something that Milton Friedman predicted in the 1960s and ended up happening actually in the 1960s and 70s. Um, And so economists Mm. kind of learned that that didn't work in the real world. And yet they continue to base their policy on it anyway. Like Fed, Fed Chair Jerome Powell has said in congressional testimony, yeah, the Phillips curve uh, no longer works or no longer exists, at least not like they thought it did. And yet, all of the Fed's models and policies are still based on the Phillips curve. And they have this attitude that, well, look, we we know it doesn't work anyway, but it's the best we've got. Except that it leads you to major problems like high inflation like we're having right now.
0: Oh, my goodness. Wow. Well, I'm learning a lot here. I mean, this is It's just madness how much is based really upon feelings and not facts. It is
1: is all madness. I completely agree. The Fed is doing a lot of things that they should not be involved with and should really be back to just being supporting the economy rather than trying to steer or push the economy. That should be their job is in a supporting role um, and with a, a single goal that we know and understand so that we can require them to be accountable.
0: Okay, well, hopefully we can uh, talk about this more in depth next time, maybe get into what your preferred goal is for the Fed. I would love to hear that explanation, and I'm sure our viewers would too. Um, thanks for coming. I'm wondering if you have any last thoughts that you'd like to leave with our listeners.
1: The, you know, the only uh, things that I would say are that there's a little bit of, of hope right now because despite the disaster that inflation has been, and it's been terrible, at least it's making people aware of how terrible the Fed is and that they cause a lot of these bad problems. And I, so I, I hope, I would love if we could get some potential reforms. Um, there there was a, a study done um, by Christina, uh, Christina Skinner and Carola, uh Binder that found that uh, people in 2021 were saying they thought that diversity and inclusion should be part of the Fed's mandate and goals but after a lot of inflation in 2022 that percentage went down significantly and so once people understood that deviating from their goals caused a lot of inflations and was causing problems in the economy they said okay we don't want the fed doing that anymore we want them to focus on their main goals and so I am hopeful that we will get some reform, but the Fed is going to push back against that. And so, you know, we'll see what happens. We're going to keep talking about it here at AIER, and I hope more Americans will uh, understand and and pay attention to what the Fed is doing in the future.
0: Great. Well, that's a great place to leave it, Tom. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, hope to see you soon. Yeah, sounds good. Thanks
1: a lot.